0: Hi! Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Kaveh Nabadian, a writer and director whose work includes the short film Vapor, which was selected for TIFF's Canada's Top Ten, and the experimental feature The Seven Last Words. His latest, Sin La Habana, was just named Best Canadian Film at the Vancouver International Film Festival, it stars Yona Acosta as a Cuban ballet dancer and Aki Yagubi as the Iranian-Canadian divorcee he sees as his ticket to a better life for himself and his girlfriend in Canada. But things get complicated. It's now playing at the Carlton Cinema in Toronto and available to rent or buy on Apple TV. Kaveh picked Happy Together, Wong kar wais exquisite 1997 study of a couple coming apart, coming back together, and coming apart again. Lai Fei and Ho Po Wing, played respectively by the exquisitely talented Tony Lung and Leslie Chung, have come to Argentina to see the Agatsu Falls and take one last shot at healing their fractious relationship. It doesn't go well, but they can't give up on each other, even as Po Wing spirals into misery and Fei makes a connection with another man, played by Chen Chang. As with most of Wong's cinema, that's not the point. The plot isn't important. It's the connections, the emotional tension, and the exquisite sense of longing he infuses into every frame. It's what he does. It's why we watch. This is Someone Else's Movie.
1: Well, there's like, you know, a few films that are a life-changing for me as a director. I'm sure all directors have have a bunch. Um, and I guess I chose Happy Together because of those films that have been just like super inspiring me, to me or films that have made me either decide to become a filmmaker or to keep on becoming a filmmaker. Um, Happy Together is the one that is kind of closest in a way to the film I made in terms of in terms of, like, approach and, you know, visual style and stuff. So it, I, I felt like it was the most relevant for this moment. But it could have been, you know, there's, like, a handful of other ones that have really blown my mind open. Yeah.
0: I, I did catch a similarity, I think, emotionally, if not texturally. Right. Well, I should preface this. For some reason, nobody picked a Wong movie for the longest time. And then this year I've done – this is the third episode of, of a Wong film. Uh, wow. We, we did Chunking Express in the spring and – Then Fran Krantz picked 2046 Mm. and Michael Haneke's Time of the Wolf has two influences Mm. on on his film Mass. So Mm. it's just been fascinating to watch his stuff be rediscovered in a weird way from that angle. I mean, it's just...
1: I think that it, it, I never gave up on it. I mean, because I love be Happy Together in particular, but also the other ones have been just so formative for me and, and, and yeah, kind of like life-changing. And in the aughts, when it was, became very, it, I feel like he became very unhip in a way, because I, so all of a sudden it was all Michael Haneke, and it was like very still camera, very kind of desaturated, kind of like movies about you know sadness and distance and alienation and stuff and and kind of christopher Bill's wild textual stuff and and wonka Wai's just general approach and like music and everything i think it felt kind of like gross and passé or something i was like well i just love it and i never i never stopped loving it and then all of a sudden the last few years i think it maybe sort of started with moonlight because moonlight had a lot of direct wonka influences mm-hmm. all of a sudden everybody was like who is this guy and now it's like you know, you can see Wong Kar films in New York at IFC, and it's all its all kind of happening again. And, and great, because they are great films. But it's like, it's weird. It's like, okay, now it's popular again, and then it won't be again. And it's funny how people's taste goes with that stuff.
0: Yeah, I, I wonder if sort of the one-two punch of 2046 and My Blueberry Nights kind of derailed him in a way and made him seem unhip, just as the other art cinemas were moving in. I remember seeing um, Ashes of Time Redux at Cannes. The one year I went to Cannes, it was playing there and it felt like a window into another era. It was just so Mm. radically different from the style that he had subsequently taken where yes, it's meditative and it's, it's similarly, I mean, it is absolutely undoubtedly a Wong movie, but Mm. it's also part of a period. It's part of a world. It's, it's part of a, there's a quasi fantasy aspect to some of it. And it just felt like an outlier in his filmography, which struck me as so odd because if there's the continuity from beginning to end of all of his films, they're all kind of associated, they're they're all, they're all thinking through the same thing. Yeah. Kind of. And the three that run together for me, like Chungking Express, Happy Together and um, and In the Mood for Love are just this, this, the pure stuff, the, 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 the arc of melancholy that runs through those three films. It just feels like he's absolutely working at the peak of his powers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I would put fallen angels in there as well. I think that's a magnificent movie too, even though it never kind of blew up as much as the other ones.
0: Yeah. It's weird actually. Now that you mention it, I always forget that it's part of that wave. Yeah. It feels like it just happened a little bit before. Maybe it's the. Yeah. I don't know. Actually. I don't know why I would think that it's just lodged outside my brain in a strange way. This is the one that feels most adventurous really for me yeah. the switching between color and black and white and the locations and the fact that he's just so many of his films are are suffocating in their in their internalization they're about people trapped in apartments and spaces and hallways and this is outside yeah. and alive in a way that the yeah. other films don't try to be. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, it feels like I mean, you know, there's always the the comparison with French New Wave and the kind of the way he cuts and the energy of his films, mm-hmm. like in particular, which I definitely see. But the way he works with texture and in particular, and happy together, the way he moves between black and white and color and the wildly different color stocks like he's got the cross process stuff of the and Falls, and then he's got this, you know, he, they really thought about which film stock to use for which scene and they weren't afraid of moving it around. And you look at like, um, like the sacrifice, like Tarkovsky, or you look at some of Bergman stuff, and there's also this ability to move from kind of real world to dream world, black and white to color, that I find really exciting. And I feel like, I mean, to, to me, that's something that's always inspired me. Is like, why do we have to decide there's like one very sober, clean language to a film? Like when the like, why can't the film form follow the emotional arc of the people. And that's something that I, that I feel like he does in that film super well. And and in general, it's something that I aspire to as well.
0: And this is one of his few films where the romance itself is curdled that, mm-hmm. that we can tell right away that they're not great for each other, even though they so desperately want to be. And yeah. it becomes long before it actually is a tragedy. It's tragic. And, and yeah the emotion that plays in those frames and and between uh, yeah i just sorry i'm 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 clogging up thinking about all the all the moments all the images and, and the way that um, that wong just lets them kind of spill out across each other and mm. that's part of the stock trick as well right it's not only is is he playing with texture but he's playing with emotional texture so the agitation works its way into the frame and the and the cutting starts to support that too. And, and it's, it's suffused. I, I screened, um, I think I just, I told the story on uh, on the Frank Kranz episode. I screened in the moon for love at an open air theater in, in Toronto at Harborfront um, in 2011, I want to say. And it was a hot, humid night and it was perfect. It was just mm-hmm. the perfect environment for that. This film doesn't give you that sense of atmosphere in the same way. Like the the air itself feels hostile in some of these shots because of the way that Doyle has, has mm-hmm. approached it. And after a while, it's hard to tell if Buenos Aires is contaminating them and mm-hmm. making them angry with each other because they're both exiles in their own way and one more than the other, or if they're just using the environment as an excuse to let loose because they're free from the expectations that they would have back home. And this yeah. lets them be their worst selves at each other.
1: Mm-hmm yeah there were selves and also you know at, at times they're best selves and you know there's like there's real love there it's really a meditation on longing mm-hmm. and I guess most of his films are meditations on longing but this one I feel like yeah he went into some some darker places and the fact that you kind of don't want them to end up together is different from his other films when the other ones you're like oh come on you guys can do it and this one's like you guys are really toxic for each other but we've all been there we've all been in toxic relationships where we really long wanted it to be different than it is. And, you know, there's like this masochistic element to it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that what's amazing about him is just that like the story, if you wrote it down, it kind of sucks. Like it's really not, (laughs) it'd be really hard to get it financed is, you know, through telephone or whatever. If you like gave them the script for that. And, but what he does is like, is he, yeah, he paints these, brush strokes of these different kind of like colors of melancholy and longing and puts it together in this way that that is just i think it's so emotional and on top of just being visually insanely beautiful and like yesterday i wanted to make sure i actually knew what i was talking about because i've that's probably been a few years since i saw it (laughs) so i'm editing a film right now and i just couldn't sit down and watch the whole thing but i scanned through it and just scanning through it i started getting choked up and kind of teary-eyed because it's so i just think it's so powerful those images and, you know, most of the time you get that through like amazing acting and amazing story that puts you in these like melodramatic situations. But with him, it's like it's texture and atmosphere and just you somehow get into this world of that they're living in. And it's so powerful.
0: It is the specificity that that Tony Long and Leslie Chung bring to these roles, too. These are people who they've known each other too well. Right. Like it's it's the the longing for the original relationship that they first had, the first attraction, the first glimmer. And that was something I rediscovered. I haven't, I hadn't watched it for quite a while. I'm going to guess maybe 15 years. And then I caught it again when Criterion released the box this spring and was just amazed at how differently it played for me. Uh, Cause I've been with my, with my wife. I mean, we met almost 20 years ago and mm-hmm. it's It's not a comment on our relationship that I I could suddenly relate to the idea of these guys, these two men who have been together just long enough to see each other's flaws, but not long enough to appreciate them, to come out the other side of it. And Mm -hmm. there's that moment in any relationship where you start kind of making a catalog and thinking, well, we can live with this. I can live with that. This is a compromise. I don't like this. We can work on that. And it's Mm -hmm. about myself as much as it is about her. And, And it's really ultimately all in my own head and has nothing to do with her. But yeah. but I didn't see it the first time through. The, right. I didn't see that stage of their development, and yeah. I was amazed at how my own life suddenly became informative to to understanding the film. And the, the, you know, the greatest thing about movies is that they don't change. We we do. The film stays yeah. the same. Yeah. But he caught that, and um, I don't. I, it's also it was really weird to then go and watch Shang Chi and see Tony Long in a Marvel movie. You know, mm-hmm. six months after yet, but, yeah. he's great he's sure. he is legitimately great in in both the martial arts action stuff and also the sheer screen charisma of of tony lung because yep. he just is who he is and there's there's yep. there's a beauty of there is a sheer i mean okay i'm not going to get into shun chi too much but there yep. the film opens with a, a 10 minute sequence in mandarin oh, Uh well. Including uh, and, and at least half of that is a bookshelf fight between Tony Long and the, and the woman his character will fall in love with. And I was so impressed with Destin Cretton going, you know what? I don't care. This is how this movie has to play. And, and cool. all these people coming to see a Marvel blockbuster are going to sit here and watch something beautiful for a while with yeah. one of the most interesting actors in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and let it happen. And. Yeah that was maybe four months after I'd, I'd last revisited Happy Together. And so right. there's that time travel as well, where suddenly he's, yeah. he doesn't look much older, but yeah. uh, he's held up beautifully, but yeah, there, there's yeah. more melancholy in him now. And, and you can't help, but bring all of the weight of his previous work to this role in a giant action machine. And Michelle Yeoh is in there too. And the, yeah. and the film uses them as icons, but yeah. he's just so good at the tiny minimalist hurt that he brings to, to Fei, and it's just magnificent. And Leslie Chung is, is wonderful, but you know, all you can, all you can think of now is how he died so young and now there's, there's so much more he could have been doing. And so it feels doubly tragic through that lens.
1: Yeah. And he's just so beautiful and charismatic and, and happy together, despite the fact that he's a little jerk, you know, like he's manipulative asshole in a way, but he's, but at the same time, you see why why Tony Long's character is so in love with him because there's just something magic that he like exudes.
0: Yeah. Again, it's, um, oh, here it is. I, I pulled up um, uh, Scott Tobias's review from the AV club, just so I could refer to this. Cause it's a beautiful line that he observed. Um, uh, Wong shows a lot of insight into how bad relationships persist beyond their expiration date, which is right. just so evident in that film that they should be done, but yeah. they can't be done. Yeah. And that's the the, sort of the sense of sadness that permeates the whole movie is that there is a better relationship for these two. They never had it. And they just keep trying to recapture the original attraction and never, never, never works. Yeah. And then that title just keeps coming up and making fun of them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's interesting you mentioned expiration date because it has the, there's like the chunking. Yeah, the pineapple. And then, and then in this film, there's like they keep on wanting to start over. You know, that's the whole thing. So we can start again. We can start over. And of course, you can't really ever start over. So, and I think that, like both the ideas of an expiry and of starting over are very like much a part of his, his whole thing.
0: Mm-hmm. And then the next one is in the mood for love, where it never even starts. Right. The whole thing is about an affair that doesn't happen, an emotional connection that doesn't proceed any further. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I think it was interesting too in this film because Tony. You know, Tony had to do these intimate, like, pretty intimate scenes with with Leslie Chung, and and I, I remember reading how he found it—you know—it was hard for him. And, and Leslie was like, "This is what I have to do all the time. Tough luck, deal with it." You know, but uh, but I thought it was interesting to show. It's not exactly explicit, but it's you're there. There's some real alive sexuality in that film. Yeah. Rare to see that to see in any kind of movie, really that that vibe and especially in you know Chinese art house movie that's about a gay couple it's like, it's very like it's it it's kind of starts with this thing and gets you right into okay we're not in a typical yeah. movie here
0: yeah I mean that was my first experience of it I think at TIFF not knowing anything about it other than that it was from the guy who made Chungking Express yeah and it's pretty confrontational and yeah and in a way that is a statement right I mean it's it's simply it it works narratively because you're seeing the intimacy and and the the love between them. Mm -hmm. And it works in a, in a way that's in a completely different way to the audience uh, as a declaration that this isn't going to be a manicured, delicate treatment Mm -hmm. of, you know, it's not an arm's length movie about this relationship. And um, yeah. And for a film to come out of, of China and to be, the art house circuit was ready for it. There were other films that that were just as explicit, if not more so. And, um, and it doesn't ultimately matter, right. That. Yeah. The sexuality is, Oh, I don't even know how to articulate this. It's not brazen as a cinematic choice. No. Right. It's just honest. Yeah. And, and Wong said at the time that he didn't see it as a, a love story between two men. He said, it was a study of love that between two characters that happened to be men which felt to me like a way to get around possible censorship at home.
1: Well, also very much how I see that movie, like, I feel like often, I guess what makes it unusual is that when we see a lot of depictions of homosexual sex in movies are these kind of like, it's like a gay movie. Like it's a movie about, you know, gayness about homosexuality and it's going to play on the, lgbtqia film circuit and that's like the the thing it's doing and and not that it'll only play there but but it's like this person makes these you know like xavier or whatever they're very clearly like gay films you know Mm -hmm. and this one it was kind of neither here nor there it had they happen to be gay and it's a movie just about humans and that's what i really like about it. one of the things i really like about it is like it could have been a guy and a girl, but it's cool that it was two guys. It's cool that there's two Chinese dudes in Buenos Aires. Like you don't expect, you know. When do you see that movie? That that's awesome, and it's it makes it very unusual because it's not it's very hard to categorize. You know?
0: The dislocation of putting them in um, Argentina also does kind of make them feel like exiles in a weird way, right? They they definitely don't fit in, yeah. and there's also the sense that they have to be each other's support that Hmm. that they can't escape each other. That even after things go wrong, they're still kind of stuck together because they're each other's anchor. They're each other's home. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And it sounds like during the shoot, there was a lot, I mean, it sounds like they didn't totally know what they were doing. And there was a lot of, you know, one of them would have to go home and they'd, they'd be just kind of waiting there. There's a whole other character who came an actress who came and was a part of it. It, and then they ended up cutting her completely out of the film. And, you know, I, I kind of, I guess, because I shoot in kind of an open way, mm. there's also something, I mean, a lot of what Wong Wai does is is in the editing. You know, he, like, oh, yeah. he, he goes and captures all these magical moments and all these like feelings and yeah, moments really, you know? And then he has all these moments and you can tell he doesn't always know. I mean, he didn't necessarily know what he was going to do those moments beforehand. And then in the editing room with his, his mastery of editing and his, you know, abilities with music, like using images with music, and suddenly you get into this whole world. But it doesn't feel, yeah, it doesn't have that kind of, you know, more American classic narrative arc where you can like pitch the film at whatever and you know wow everyone with your amazing story. Idea.
0: Oh yeah, it's not a straight line. It feels to me as though he's sort of paying his respects back to Tarantino in Mm. a weird way by taking Mm. the scrambled um, feeling of of a pulp fiction uh, but not taking the influence Mm -hmm. right? because the tone is completely different and the style is completely different but there is a sense of sort of electric unpredictability that the Mm. life is going on right in front of you and that these characters are going to make strange decisions that we don't understand that will only become understandable later Mm. the energy is the same and it's it's such an odd thing too because that's not what Wong usually does. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, Chunking express was brought to North America mm-hmm. by Tarantino who was championed yeah. by, by yeah. him. And like Miramax even set him up with an imprint just to release it. Yeah. And this felt like a tip of the hat in a weird way, but it didn't feel like it was competing or trying to, no. to ride the wave. It's just an acknowledgement that this sort of storytelling would work as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And like huge jumped in time, which is similar. And, and Yeah not not giving you everything right? letting you do a little bit of the work yourself but at the same time without being at a at a very like european remove you know mm-hmm. it's, it's it's you're in there with him that's what's so nice it's, a, it's it's a very like sensorial and immersive film and those are two you know buzzwords that everyone's talking about their sensorial immersive films he was doing that i mean and so is you know so is tarkovsky so is Bergman, so is Antonio, so is Fellini, like all those guys. But it feels like for a while there was like less immersion. There's this idea about objectivity or something like that. And and his one car wise films, especially that one, is just so subjective. Like there's no, there's no, yeah, there's no distance. You're just in in the room with them, in their in their dreams, in their, you know, like the way he uses Iwasu Falls is this kind of like dream place. You're you're inside Tony and Leslie's world.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, we know it's a real place because they shot there, but that yeah. waterfall may not be real at all. We see it as, you know, it's introduced on a lampshade. It could just be a, yeah. a shared hallucination, a dream of yeah. theirs, as you say.
1: Yeah, and then when you do see the waterfall, you know, they use that – I can't remember which stock they used, and whether it was cross-processed, or they, they did something different with it, and it just looks totally different. It's, like, super blue, super saturated, so beautiful. I just like like – just want to swim in that image. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's rapturous.
0: Yeah, I think I, I. Yeah, I did. I saw it in a dinky screening room in the basement of the famous Players Building, where the uh, the the most the thing you could always count on would be that the screen would be slightly off. That there yeah. there would there would be like a little ribbon of black, but you could never tell where it was going to be. Sometimes it was on the left. Sometimes it was on the right. Sometimes it was on the bottom. Yeah. But when that, yeah, the, the images just wash over us. In film, yeah. and it's thirty-five millimeter, it's bright bulb. It was just, it was beautiful. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I remember exactly where I was.
1: Yeah, me too. The first time I saw it, I was I just finished film school, maybe or I, no, maybe I was still in film school, and I hadn't seen any of his other films. It sounded kind of weird. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to see this, but they say it looks good. I'll go check it out. And I went to the Egyptian in Montreal, mm. and. There's was like five of us in the theater and I just like, I just, it, it's so awesome when you don't see something coming, you know, like I didn't know how amazing it was going to be at all. I didn't really know who Wong Cry Wai was. I didn't feel like I had any connection to Chinese cinema or, you know, you read the blurb about the story. I was like, nah, I don't know. But, uh but yeah, I mean, when I left the movie, I was like in tears. I was with my girlfriend at the time. I was like, I, I just sit here for a while and just like process the emotions but also just process it's like oh you can do this you know you can you can make films that break rules and still and are still i mean it's there's a lot of like pretty much straight up experimental ideas in that film and yet it's this like story that gets you and and i feel like sometimes experimental film can be so cerebral and it's like it can be very formal and beautiful but it doesn't come and grab you. And and I really like it when this formal exploration in a film that's got a clear narrative or not, even not a clear narrative, but that that, that decides to get, you know, grab you as an audience member and and like be with people instead of be with ideas.
0: Yeah. And it is, it breaks down to a simple logline, right? And it's just two people contemplating the end of their relationship effectively. You can reduce it to that, but that's not what it is to, to sit through it and experience it. It's, no and would
1: you go see that movie? Yeah, I wouldn't.
0: You know it's like depends who's in it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's this what what we get is so textured and beautiful and sad and 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 funny. I mean it's aware of who they are and Wong is letting these actors inhabit the space and be and be charming to each other here and there yeah. and we get to see flashes of the relationship yeah. where where it's good and you can get a sense of what they're chasing once it's over and yeah i mean it's just it's about the space between the beginning and the end and then Mm -hmm. the next beginning and then the next end and the sense that you know this could be going on over and over and over again um and might but yeah but for the the flaws that that bring them down
1: yeah well, it's an open ending, but it's but there's there's a feeling that I, f- I feel like
0: he's moving on. Yeah, it feels like, pretty concrete by the end I of it.
1: There, when he's on that train in in Taiwan or wherever he goes back to, yeah,
0: yeah, which is why it's so devastatingly sad to leave at the end of the film.
1: Yeah, with that super happy kind of kitschy song, it's so awesome. It, I mean, I feel like it, it it it's interesting what you're saying. I feel like in a way it operates more like more like music, you know, where you know, you listen to Mahler 5 and it's like you're immersed in this like symphonic world that's super intense, but it's not telling you what to think. It's like just showing you it's like it's it's expressing emotion and you can get in there. And that's why I mean, like, yeah, there is a simple log line and you can kind of sum it up. But that's like trying to sum up Mahler by saying, like, it's a movie about pining when he was pining for a, this boy and he had to keep it to himself. You know, that's that's what it is about, but that's so reductive of what at Mahler's Fifth is like, you know? And I think that, and I think that that's where this, always, you know, films should have a lot more to them than what you could write about. But with this film, he's like working so much with the tools of cinema. You know, we're, we're in a cinematic space and it's not really about, it's not so much about the text as it is about the cinematic spaces.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's his gift, I think, even something like The Grandmaster, which is a straight up action movie, really, yeah. especially in the in the American cut, in the shorter version. Um, he is filling in every detail. He is making sure that the frame tells the story as much as the dialogue does, as much as the music does. He builds these experiences in these pocket universes of his films. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, Happy Together and In the Mood for Love are the two that I keep coming back to. When I think of Wong, even though I haven't, I hadn't watched Happy Together for more than a decade, Mm -hmm. those are the images that pop up. I mean, sometimes it's just as simple as a really great poster sticking in your brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just the two of them not making it together Mm -hmm. is just so perfect and tragic. Mm -hmm. Um, It's funny when when Ang Lee made Brokeback Mountain. For me, it's the first hour of that film, not the second that works. The second mm-hmm. hour just feels like it's, it's tragic because it, the story is a tragedy and they need things to go this way. But of course, mm-hmm. it's a story about uh, Ennis denying himself and refusing to be happy. And, and that's frustrating mm-hmm. for me as an audience member because, mm-hmm. you know, if you present a character whose only impediment to happiness is himself, mm-hmm. I find that incredibly frustrating. But that's what Happy Together is about, right? Like mm-hmm. the whole point is that they can't make this work because one of them won't grow up.
1: Yeah, yeah, just yeah.
0: the and the other can't wait. Yeah, at a past a certain point, and I don't respond to it the same way. I just feel that this one's tragic because Wong understands them from the inside out and yeah. doesn't see them as tragic figures. It's just yeah. like it's the film is a tragedy in the same way the Brokeback Mountain is a tragedy, but here it's just more like, well, yeah. it's too bad they know each other so well that they can't connect. Yeah. And, it's simply circumstance. It's just the world around them, doesn't let them have the space to figure it out.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting parallel that I've never thought of. And and there's a lot of parallels actually between the two, you know. But I but what you're saying is true. Like, I mean, I think Rogue Back Mountain is actually pretty amazing, but it is very like kind of epic. Not necessarily hollywood but it's like it's a it's like really beautiful american filmmaking it feels like you know you're you're at a certain distance and it's kind of telling you what to think when and you kind of know what's going on and you're like i can't believe this like you feel all the things as as you're meant to and the timing you're meant to whereas Happy together is so much more open and now suddenly there's a new guy and he's talking into like you're hearing the third guy's thoughts about you know he's it's really much more of this kind of like 3D global experience of what they're living rather than this kind of like telling you what to think in the way that Brokeback Mountain does. And at the end of the day, I mean, I think Brokeback Mountain is is awesome, but it doesn't inhabit me in the same way.
0: Yeah, you can leave it behind. I mean, yeah. it's it's like a closed circle, and and Happy Together is just more amorphous and hard to pin yeah. down.
1: Yeah, it's open. It's actually a pretty open film in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah. Well, this sort of gets me to uh, Sin La Habana where you've already mentioned that you sort of leaned on Happy Together a little bit uh, as an influence. Um, uh, The the way I close this podcast is always to ask people if there's anything in the film they've chosen that they've borrowed or lifted or outright stolen. So uh, yeah, let's, let's explore that a little bit more.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's probably a bunch of things for sure. The idea of, of switching textures of going from, you know, shooting on an alexa to shooting on a bolex you know it's not exactly the same but also within the bolex world within the 16 millimeter world of the film which kind of represents you know, Leonardo's really spiritual dimension we go from color to black and white and i wanted it to be kind of seamless and for to not overthink is you know why this needs to be like this is more kind of intuitive which i feel like is probably how Wonka wide mixed decisions it feels like it's very much based on intuition mm. so i was trying to make a lot of of those kind of textual decisions intuitively which is probably borrowed from from one and then i mean the kids rollerblading is kind of i think i had the soccer game in mind you know, the, the, the soccer games that you see upside down and and happy together but i guess more than anything is like getting in close with people in these small warm spaces in cuba i you know, Wankawa uses much wider lenses than I was, but the kind of movement and the and the kind of proximity to people is similar. And then also the idea of, of two people coming together in a place that's not their home. You know, like mm-hmm. Massim and Leonardo are in Montreal, neither of them is Canadian. And so they're stuck trying to work out their relationship in this place that kind of like acts as a vessel for them to, to hold them, but isn't, you know, it's it's not really a, a Quebecois film, in the way that many Quebecois films are, very clearly linked to the place. It's kind of a cold, hostile environment that these two people are put in. Buenos Aires is obviously a much kind of warmer environment, but it is also quite hostile to them in a lot of ways. And so, and and in the same way, it's two two kind of exiles living in a in a vessel that isn't isn't kind to them.
0: Yeah. Well, in both Buenos Aires and Montreal, feel like Europe, but aren't. Right. Like looking, even, yeah. there's even further dislocation that way. Yeah. 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 Where you're just subtly not at home wherever you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And then also, I mean, I guess it's hard to know when something is that influential on you, like how much of it is from that movie and how much of it is just kind of what I do now. But there's definitely like, I enjoy going into musical sequences and letting music and image kind of tell the story without hammering it too much over the head and that's something that he does a lot you know it says so much in in Happy Together when Leslie Chung kind of ignores Tony Long gets in the gets in the car and smokes a cigarette he's hanging out with everybody and then he looks backwards and then goes into slow motion and then there's a rock focus and you see Tony Long and you know that he's they're thinking about each other even though he's ignoring him and that's so much better than if he'd said it you know it's just like it's all just and, and the music is so intense at that moment you feel what I imagine what Leslie Chung is feeling and what Tony Long is feeling.
0: Yeah. Well, he has that. You have dance sequences. They both express things that would work in a musical, right? Where suddenly people have to start singing because they can't contain the emotions that they were speaking of.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the the tango scene also in uh, the tango in the kitchen scene and happy together, which is, you know, one of the classic scenes of that movie, as we even shot a kind of similar scene and it was, it was too similar. I was like, I can't, I can't keep this, but definitely the idea of, of expressing feelings through dance is something that he does really well in that movie and that I was trying to
0: do with this as well. It's just so difficult to talk about movies that are all feelings, right? Like yeah. I'm trying to articulate these complex emotional loop-de-loops that, that yeah. Wong pulls off and just discuss them as though it's a, a single take or a camera, effect or something but it's just he he builds these cohesive immersive environments i i i hate the idea of a virtual reality experience of a movie but kind of wouldn't mind hanging out in those rooms with these people just for a little while
1: well yeah i mean i hate virtual reality i keep on trying and i go and spend all the money and and then i'm like i don't want this at all it's (laughs) too much It's it's like it doesn't feel immersive i feel like revolted kind of but uh but an immersive film that lets your mind do the imagining of what that world is is so much more interesting to me. And so, really, immersive films like, like that, or like you know, I keep on bringing up Tarkovsky, but like *The Sacrifice*. You know what that room, that that you know, the house that burns down feels like, or the mirror when he when he when they're in that farmhouse and there's like he's floating upside down, there's water coming out of the crack of the walls. You know, it's you're just immersed in feeling, and that's so awesome.
0: Yeah. I, f- I mean, if there was a, a VR version of In the Mood for Love, I kind of wouldn't mind getting a closer look at the wallpaper. That's just yeah. thats just all I want. I want the textures. I want to live inside Christopher Doyle's frame. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, the In the Mood for Love is such a masterpiece of art direction that for sure, yeah, you want to see what those rooms actually look like. But I feel like in a movie like Happy Together and Chungking Express, you don't really need to get up cl- You know what that the feeling of that room is. It's not so, you know, it's just In the Mood for Love. It's just so perfect everything every detail is is so which I like but I prefer happy together in a way because it's so it's the the energy is so kinetic
0: yeah it is it's it's yeah it's the outlier right it's it's just it's so vibrant that the screen almost can't contain it
1: yeah exactly yeah oh
0: now I just want to watch it again that's all it'll be fun that's the beauty of these things is we can keep revisiting them yeah and maybe discover something else this time
1: yeah no it's cool and I, I love that this is a great i haven't i just found out about this a couple of days ago so i haven't had a chance to check <laughs> out other podcast but but uh i really like that you're doing this it's a really cool way of talking about a film without talking about one's own film Thanks. And, and actually thinking about stuff that i don't i wouldn't have you know i wouldn't have made some of those connections so so i appreciate it
0: oh my pleasure and well yeah i mean there's 365 other episodes so you got one a day for a full year if you want to uh, god help us all <laughs> My thanks to Kaveh Nabadian, whose new movie, Sin La Habana, is screening at the Carlton Cinema in Toronto and available to rent and buy on Apple TV right now. Thanks also to Angie Power. She knows what she did. Kaveh's not on Twitter, but he does have a website, kavehnabadian.com, and you can find Happy Together in the Criterion Collection's magnificent World of Wangarwai box set. It's also streaming on the Criterion channel. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com where I host the Now What podcast every Friday and I write far too much about movies and television. This week Ghostbusters. And you can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme song is by the last year. If you like it or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps, it truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're there. Watch movies. Stay safe wear a mask if you go out and get your shot already. I'll see you next time.